0: Come, be with us, Jesus. Our hearts are heavy. We will cast our cares, our uncertainties on you and let your peace wash over us. It's one thing to pray those words, it's one thing to to say those words and reflect on those words. but what does that look like? How do we actually do that? How do we cast our cares, our anxieties, our uncertainties on Jesus and let his his peace wash over us when when we've just heard news that we we weren't expecting and that we don't like and that we have a sense is going to hurt those who we do love and care about? How do we cast our cares on uh, on Jesus when, when we've been praying and praying and praying? And it, there's just no breakthrough. There's no change. There's no difference. When it seems like other people pray and their prayers are answered, but ours just seem to hit the wall or the ceiling and, 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 and bounce off, and we're just not even sure if God even hears our prayers. How do we find peace when the test results aren't definitive? When our employer is unclear in their expectations or or wavering in their support? When our spouse or our children are slipping away from us and there's nothing we can do about it? How do we cast our cares on Christ and find his peace when we had hoped that the season would be marked with an exclamation point? but it's really just a question mark I sure do wish that I could stand before you this morning with, a, with an easy button but Staples doesn't have them and neither do I and even if I tried to sell you that most of us here have lived long enough to know that these things don't happen easy I mean it sure would be nice if we could say like, it's easy, read your Bible, pray every day and your question marks will become exclamation points but I have a hunch I'm not the only one here today who knows that that'd be a load of hooey. And that even for followers of Jesus Christ, there are times and seasons when we don't understand, when we're anxious, when our hearts are heavy, and it's difficult sometimes to find peace. It's difficult sometimes to deal with those uncertainties. And so what I'd like to do today as we continue our march through the Christmas story is I'd like to look at the encounter between Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, and between Mary, the mother of our Lord. And, and, and what we're going to see today is that God offers us three anchors in seasons of uncertainty. Now, I had one of our fishermen from the church bring me in an anchor from his bass boat. You've all seen anchors before, right? truth be told, I texted him this week. I said, hey, Mark, do you, have a, do you have an anchor I could borrow for a visual Sunday? And he said, I do. But it's not like one of those double hook anchors that most people think about. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, of course it's not. You've got a bass boat, right? I mean, you throw this thing in the water when you're fishing so your boat doesn't drift so you can find a good spot and stay there stay there. I mean, no bass fisherman in his right mind with a, with a bass boat is going to grab a 12-pound anchor like this Throw it in the water and expect that if a storm comes up, he's safe in his boat. That's a little silly, right? A little ridiculous. Mark's, Mark's not his head going, yeah, that ain't happening. God gives us anchors that we can hold on to. We're going to look at three of them today, but God gives us anchors that we can hold on to. But what I want to do is be careful that we don't start to think that these things are cure-alls. That it's going to fix everything. That we won't face seasons of uncertainty and, and we won't have times where, where suddenly we're, you know, all the lack of peace vanishes. All the questions are gone. All the struggling is no more. God gives us some anchors to hold on to. But they're not easy buttons, and they won't fix everything. But they will remind us. That even in seasons of uncertainty, we can cast our cares on Jesus, that he's with us, and we can let his peace wash over us. So we're in Luke chapter one today. Uh, some of you may be frantically searching your sermon notes. We we didn't print it on there this week. I would invite you, if you brought your Bible, to turn to Luke 1, or if not, there should be a Bible somewhere in front of you. Uh, if you turn to page 723. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to find the passage, Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read the account between, uh, the conversation between Gabriel, the angel sent by the Lord, to inform Mary that her life is about to shift. This was unexpected. And, uh, and we're just going to see how that goes and see what three anchors we can find in Mary's story. So Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 26. Luke writes, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, why does Luke give us all those details? Any thoughts on that? I would suggest it so that we can know with certainty that these things happened. Luke was, uh, Luke was an, a historian, and he was writing to, to, to say, this, this isn't just fairy tale or fantasy. This happened. Now, what's going to come in the next few verses seems like fairy tale or fantasy, but, but Luke is saying, no, no, no. These are historical people at real times and real places, and these are real events. And so if we can be certain of that, we can be certain that their fulfillments of prophecy. So uh, he, he, he sent uh, Gabriel to the virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Would you circle two words in that verse? Would you circle greetings? Actually, three words. Greetings, circle that. And then if you just circle highly favored. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And as you might imagine, if you can put yourself in Mary's shoes, Mary was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. Those come from one Greek word. It's a compound Greek word. The two parts of the Greek word um, would be like our words. Through, like to come through something. Through. And the second part is agitation. So greatly troubled. She was... when I was studying this, the picture in my mind was Mary in a washing machine during the the, the the washing cycle. And it's agitating back and forth. And she's like, whoa, I don't know what's happening here. To use our metaphor, we could say she, she was suddenly in a squall that blown up. She's Wind and water everywhere. She doesn't, she doesn't know what happened. She's greatly troubled. She's perplexed. She's uncertain. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, I'm in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Circle those last three words, favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And if you thought Mary was, you know, through agitation, greatly troubled at at, at Gabriel's greeting, you can probably imagine now what she's doing, like with I mean, it's kind of, kind of hard for us because we hear this every year, right? But, but Mary, this is the first time she realized she was the virgin and she was going to give birth to a son. Imagine, or just listen, verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I ain't no dummy. I've taken sex ed. I know how this works. How is this going to be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Or your version may say, for nothing is impossible with God. Or if we're going to stick with today's metaphor, we may say no anchor from the Lord will ever fail, even in the midst of the greatest storm. Mary responds in verse 38, I... I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now if I don't miss my guess, most of us in here, at least on, on one level, certainly not on all of them, but at least on one level, can relate to Mary's experience in these verses we just read. I mean, first of all, Mary's not even sure why this angel is appearing to her. Mary is, uh, um, well, she's not rich. She doesn't live in a, in a, in a booming metropolis where the, the rich and powerful live. She lives in a, in, in a, in a small, normal area. She's, she's, a, she's a normal person. Why would an angel appear to her? And again, if I don't miss my guess, I would bet there's been times when all of us have said, you know what? Just an average Joe. I'm just a plain old Mary. Why would why would God do anything with me? Why? And we're left scratching our heads, going, "I don't get it." The uh, the angel came and said things to Mary that they just don't make sense. They just plumb don't work. I mean, a virgin's gonna give birth to a uh to, to a baby and 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 you're that virgin and, and Mary is greatly troubled and distressed, and she doesn't understand how it's gonna work. And and truth be told, we have the same thing happen with us. We get news when we weren't expecting it, and we say, well, that doesn't work. That's not my plan. That's not how this is supposed to go down. I don't see how how can God possibly be in this. I guess one of the areas where things are different is that most of us in here probably have never had a direct revelation from God. We've never had an angel appear to us, or or we've never had a vision where uh, where Jesus himself was before our eyes. Maybe you have. I mean, that still happens in our world, and we've heard stories from across the world where, where the risen Savior will appear to a Muslim man and and, uh, and, and just like that, the man's life has changed. But if I don't miss my guess, most of us in here would say, you know what, that hasn't been my story. And so we don't, we don't get the advantage of, uh, of, of an angel or, or even of a, a vision of Jesus Christ saying, peace, God is with you. But you know, in some ways, in some ways, maybe we have it a little better than Mary. I mean, don't get me wrong. It'd be, it'd be sweet if an angel appeared to me. I mean, I don't know what I'd do. I'd, I'd probably respond like a lot of people in the Bible. In the Bible, that fall down in fear and terror. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit isn't just a ghost or an angel. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. This is God. And Scripture said he's with us and, and he's in us. And, and, and through God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And, and through other believers, the Spirit speaks to us. And, and through singing and, 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 and song lyrics and art, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And through nature, God, through his Holy Spirit, is speaking to us. And in a still small voice that's so quiet if we're not listening we'll miss it but once we hear it, it is unmistakably God's voice the Holy Spirit speaks to us and God is still in the business of offering the anchors he offered Mary no matter what our uncertainty is, no matter what the news is, no matter how the plan isn't going the way we thought, no matter, the, no matter how much we think in the moment, here we go again. That ruins it. Now forget that plan. God's still in the business of offering us the same anchors. Let's look at those three anchors. First of all, Gabriel or God through, through Gabriel offers Mary the anchor of who she is, really. Gabriel helps Mary to focus her eyes on who she really is. You know, it's hard for us to say in 2018 with, you know, 2,000 years of church history piled on Mary's shoulders, it's, it's hard for us to get a glimpse of who she really is, Let me just see if maybe we can poke at that a little bit today. First of all, Mary was a peasant living in a peasant village. That means she was poor. Her family before her was poor for generations. And realistically speaking, her family after her was gonna be poor for generations. They were laborers. They worked with their hands for what they had. And sometimes, most often, that wasn't very much. Mary was 12, somewhere probably between 12 and and 14. I see a whole string of young ladies sitting here about halfway back on this side. Mary would have been in their age range. And we know that because history tells us that it was shortly after uh, her first menstrual cycle that that a young lady was given in marriage. And and we have here in the text that Mary was, um, we would say, engaged to Joseph but she wasn't really engaged. You see, for us, we say engaged, and, and maybe you've seen it like I have. Um, we think of engaged as, you know, someone's popped the question and she said yes, and he went to Jared and all that good stuff. But if they get a little ways into this engagement period and they're heading towards the marriage and, and one or both of them begin to realize, well, mm, maybe this isn't gonna work out. They can, they can break off that engagement and walk away. I mean, it, it's painful. It's hard, and and there's there's you know sometimes wedding gifts have already been bought. You got to figure that out, and maybe the food's already been bought. Through. I mean, there's things to figure out, but break the engagement, we're done. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. That was a legal contract. Her dad and his dad had signed an agreement that our kids will be married. And if they get partway into it, if they're a week before the wedding and they go, this just isn't a good idea. It's not just return the ring and deal with the chicken from the reception. I mean, they are legally bound to each other. There has to be new legal paperwork for that betrothal to be separated. This is part of Mary's reality. Poor, 12 to 14, um, whether she liked it or not, we don't know, but legally bound to be married to a man who was probably in his 30s. I, I guess in short, we could say it like this. She was just like every other girl in her village every other girl her age. There was nothing special about Mary. She really was a nobody living in nowhere, doing nothing. And that's hard for us to imagine, especially if you've got Catholic roots. I mean, you, I, but, but, I mean, this is, historically, this is the reality. But the angel says there's something different. You're not, you're not nobody living to nowhere doing nothing, Mary. Did, did you catch again what the angel said to her when he came to her? What were his, what were his first words? Say them loud. What were the, the angel's first words to Mary? You circled them. Greetings. What's the rest? You who are highly favored. The angel didn't go to Mary and go, oh, you poor little thing. I've got some news that might change it for you. Gabriel came before her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And we don't see it in the English. But the words, the words that the angel used for Mary emphasize what God is up to more than who Mary is. As a matter of fact, he uses the word greetings. I think we're going to put this up. Oh, yeah, he did say, Mary, you have found favor with God. In verse 30, now we're going to put up what greetings means. Uh, pardon that, my mistake. He says, uh, greetings, this this Greek word means grace. It's the Greek word for grace. We would, if we used it as a greetings, we would say grace to you. It's like, hello. But more of a focus on God. Grace to you, and he says, you are highly favored. This is the same word in a different form. It says God is giving you unmerited favor, something you don't deserve, something that you can't be be good enough to deserve. this. It's not because you're rich and powerful and good-looking and you do your devotions every day. It's not because you have great faith. The angel comes to Mary and says this isn't about you at all. This is about God's unmerited favor, grace to you. You're about to receive even more grace. And uh, of course, Mary, we know from the text, is going, I, I don't understand. What do you mean, God's grace to me, and I'm highly favored, and God's going to show me more grace? I, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. This troubles me. I'm perplexed. I'm uncertain. The angel says, God sees you differently, Mary, than you see yourself. God has a different view of you. He's done more for you than you realize. And this is the message of the gospel, that God gives us far more than we deserve because he sees something different in us, about us, than we see in or about ourselves, and it's all through Scripture. But when the time had fully come, Paul wrote, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And this is how we know what love is. While we were still dead in our sins, when we could do nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, we're dead men and dead women. In the midst of that, Christ died for us. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The very thing the angel said to Mary, God's grace to you. Beloved, it's not just those who are lost, who are far from Jesus, that need to hear again the good news of God's grace. The gospel of grace is for all of us, and we constantly need to hear the Holy Spirit's voice saying, you don't deserve this blessing. I know you don't. I know you think you can't earn it. I know you think you can't be worthy, and you can't. God sees you differently and extends to you grace upon grace. Mary heard Gabriel speak those words to her and through the Holy Spirit, we can hear God directly speak those words to us. Flip over the back side of your note sheet. The side that doesn't have the banner at top. I just want to draw your attention here. The, the heading is "Who I Am in Christ," and this is just a smattering, just a flavor of some of the places in the New Testament where the New Testament writers say to those who follow Christ, "This is who you are." Notice three headings: "I'm accepted in Christ." I'm secure in Christ. I'm significant in Christ. And time and time again, both Jesus and and those who wrote the epistles, Paul and Peter and the others, time and time again, they say, you are not who you think you are. You may struggle with things. You may have shortcomings. You may be a massive failure on a human level, but God sees something more in you, and you're accepted. And you're forgiven, and your position with him is secure and you're significant. You matter. He's given you hope and a purpose, and, and he has a desire for you. And then it may it may make you scratch your head. Because there's so many seasons in life where the questions just come and where we're so uncertain. One of the greatest privileges and one of the hardest times as a pastor is when I sit with someone who's received a terminal diagnosis. When it's clear right now there's no uncertainty about this, your time is coming to an end and probably sooner than you expected. There may be uncertainty about when or how it's going to come or what it's going to look like or how it's going to feel. All those questions are swirling. But almost without exception, In those conversations, the question that comes up, the question at least that's fielded to me, from even from men and women who have followed Christ for years. The question that comes up is Am I really a Christian? Am I really going to heaven? It's not a mark of poor faith. It's a reflection of the world in which we live. When times of uncertainty come like that, it can be suffocating. They cause us to question who we are and who God is. But Gabriel offers Mary an anchor that says, listen, it doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances say. You're a recipient of God is working in you. And in Mary's case, he's about to work through you in a way that the world has never seen. And then the angel says, the Lord is with you. And then he goes, then Gabriel goes on to offer proof that what he's saying about Mary's identity in Christ, in God, the way God sees her, Is true. Notice verses 31 through 33 again. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel doesn't stop with the anchor of who she is in God's eyes. He offers her the anchor of who Jesus is. Gabriel gives to Mary an anchor that she could hold on to of who Jesus is. Now, how many, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you were here last week, you probably remember Pastor Joel's message from Isaiah 7, this this, uh, promise that God made to King Ahaz. And you may remember he worked through his whole sermon, and he gets to the end, almost the end, and he says, aha, we've saved the best for last. Something like that. Pardon the literary discretion. And he saved verse 14 for last from Isaiah 7, where Isaiah writes, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I want you to notice what the angel said to Mary. Let's put it up on the screen. You, the virgin, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. It was no accident that the angel borrowed word for word from Isaiah this prophecy about a virgin giving birth to a son who would be God with us. Gabriel's saying to Mary, listen, what I'm telling you, who God is and who this baby is, is promised from God. It's a prophecy fulfilled that is through you. He's, he, Gabriel's telling Mary, listen, God said this would happen. And it's happening. And so if God said uh, a century or more ago that this is going to happen, and if now it's happening, you can trust God. Even though it doesn't make sense, even though you don't get it, you can hold on and you can trust God. And, 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 uh, and the Gabriel, Gabriel goes on and he says more. And as we read those, as theologians and linguists read those, it's, it's surprising how much it echoes more of Isaiah's prophecy. Listen to these other verses from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Gabriel says he'll be the Son of of the Most High. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Gabriel says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Isaiah continues establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And Gabriel says, his kingdom will never end. Gabriel is working hard to help Mary understand who her son is and that's rooted in who God is when God makes a promise it happens this is the one for whom their people have been waiting and longing for centuries unsure if he's ever coming wondering if they've misunderstood God asking is this really gonna happen but Gabriel brings a message of certainty Mary, God sees you. God's showing you favor that you can't deserve, that you don't deserve, you can't earn, and and that's because he sees you differently than you see yourself. Messiah's coming, and he's coming through you, and, and the proof is in the baby bump. This has been promised for years, and it's happening now because God said it would happen. You're that virgin, and the baby is that Savior. Mary, if God can fulfill a centuries-old promise through you, you can hold on to the anchor in times of uncertainty of who he is and that he's leading and directing your life. And God would say through the Holy Spirit the same thing to us today. If God can fulfill centuries-old prophecy through a nobody and nowhere doing nothing because of his great grace, we can be confident that he's alive and working in our lives too. And the proof is in the changed life. The proof is in uh, the difference between who you used to be and who you are. The difference is in the fact that you're here wanting to hear a word from the Lord. Listening, asking, trusting. So Gabriel gives Mary two anchors here to hold on to, who she is in God and, and who God is. And I want you to notice one more anchor that God extends to Mary the uh, the testimony of another believer. So after Gabriel leaves Mary, Mary said, "Wait a minute! Twice he mentioned Elizabeth. Uh, uh, I got to go see her." And so Mary takes off and she, uh, she leaves her in the hill country and she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And, and uh, when she sees Elizabeth, there's this conversation where we find this third anchor that God offered her and that God offers us, starting in verse 41, if you want to jump down there, Luke 1:41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, circle this next word, blessed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you were bare. This is Elizabeth speaking. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then circle this first word in verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth does for Mary what we strive to do for each other at the end of worship every Sunday. She blesses her. She speaks God's truth over her. When we do it on Sunday mornings, we do it in the, uh, in the same way that the, old, the priestly blessing from the Old Testament comes. It's a threefold blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And we do a blessing in the, in the threefold. Elizabeth is a little different. Instead of speaking God's reality over her, she speaks to God's reality in her. She calls out what she sees happening in Mary's life. I see God's grace at work in you, Mary. God's doing something amazing in you, and I know it because every part of my being told me when I saw you. Your faith and your belief in God is obvious. And I just wonder do we do the same? Are we doing the same thing for each other? You see, the first two anchors are directly from God through Gabriel to Mary, who she is in God and and, and, and who God is. But God in his wisdom leaves the third anchor for the community of believers to offer to each other. And I wonder, are we doing that? Are we blessing one another? Do we have relationships in the ability to look into people's lives and say, I see God at work in you. I see God changing you and forming you and and shaping you. Now, I believe we have the ability to do it. The question is, are we doing it? And have you experienced it? Blake, can you stand up for a minute? It was several years after worship. I was at another church and a man, you're about my size, a little smaller. A man came up to me and he he was tiny, way smaller than me. And he comes up to me after worship and he puts his hands on my shoulders and he looks me in the eyes and he says, the Jesus in you speaks to the Jesus in me. And then he went on to tell me some specific things and and things that he saw God doing in my life. Thanks for letting me use you as illustration. He he went on to tell me some specific things he saw God doing in my life. And I wonder, do we do that for each other? Now notice when Elizabeth blessed Mary, there was a specific way that she did it. Quietly, right? I just saw some heads nod yes. Gotcha. No. It says in a loud voice or loudly, Elizabeth blessed Mary. Now I'm not suggesting we have to scream our good things at each other. Jim, I see God working in you! Way to go! No, that's not what I'm talking about. But are we doing it in a way that people can hear? Are we specific? not these general feel-good blessings? Are we specific? Do we have the ability to look someone in the eyes and say, I see the struggle that you've had over the last year to forgive your parents. And I see that you're a little, you're, you're less bitter now than you were the last time we talked about this. God is at work in you. Or I see the way that you work with with the teenagers and, and I see the way that they are around you and God is working through you. Or I see the compassion you had last night when those teenagers just needed someone Christian to be around as their world was falling apart. That was God working through you. Do we have the ability to do that for each other? And are we doing it? The third anchor that Gabriel offered Mary was a testimony of another believer that God was at work in her lives. And if we're gonna face times of uncertainty and peace, if we're gonna hear hard things that we don't like and expect God's peace, we have got to be willing to bless each other and tell each other the truth of what God is doing even when we don't see it or feel it. And not only do we have to be like Elizabeth, we gotta be like Mary, we've gotta put ourselves in places where we can be blessed by God's people. Mary rightly went to Elizabeth, which is where she got her blessing. And I wonder, are you doing that? Are you giving God's people a chance to know you so they can bless you? I mean, Sunday morning that can happen, and that does happen on some level. But people can't truly know you on Sunday morning. I mean, are you plugged into a small group or a Bible study where you're opening your heart and your life so people can bless you and point out what God is doing? Are you serving in a ministry somewhere? Are you, uh, are you participating in youth group regularly? This is, a, this is a place where people get to know you and call out God's best in you. Are you, are you coming to our Wednesday night meals? I, whew, you want to get to know somebody, share a meal with them. And we provide that opportunity on Wednesday nights. There's, there's all kinds of places, but, but are you doing that? Surrounding yourself with people who can speak God's truth in uncertain times. Last night, my wife and I went next door to our neighbor's house. And uh, several of us neighbors got together. In the last four to six weeks, we've had two families in our neighborhood without, without warning who lost the man of the house. Two families in our neighborhood without a husband and a father, teenagers without their dad. And so some of us got together to say, what can we do to bless these folks? How do, we, how do we help them not only through Christmas, but through the longer grieving process? I was, I was just I was amazed at my neighbors and, and praise God for Christian neighbors but as we talked specifically about the family that lives closest to all of us it became obvious that this was going to be an uphill battle because they're uh, evidently professing atheists and how do you offer someone God's hope when they don't even believe in God How do you speak God's blessing in them when they don't even surround themselves with Christian people? There's an extra layer of blessing that comes with being surrounded by people who can look into our lives and speak the truth of who we are in Christ and who God is and what God is doing in us and through us. whether they're big like what's happening in my neighborhood or whether they're small, uh, we all face seasons of uncertainty. That's another thing we all have in common. But through them, we can find God's anchors of peace and hope and confidence. God's given us these anchors to hold on to. If we'll grab them, we'll be able to weather the storm. Sometimes the only certainty we have is knowing who God is and who we are in him and to him. And that's enough. Especially when we've got other believers there to say it's true and it remains true and we're going to get through this. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Gabriel's encounter with Mary for the sense that even though we will never bear the Son of God, that uh, that we have something in common with Mary and, and things come into our lives that we don't get, that we don't understand, that we didn't ask for, that we don't want. And yet in the midst of that, Father, thank you that in your grace you offer us anchors. You offer us hope to hold on to who you are and who we are in you because of Jesus and of the believers to continually remind us of what you're doing in our lives. Father, we will strive to cast our cares on you so that we can experience your peace in seasons of uncertainty. Would you let it wash over us even now, Father, we pray. Amen. Amen.